Trash, The Final Frontier. Welcome to the bridge of the Starship Hague for Strange New Pods, a podcast miniseries covering Strange New Worlds. I'm your captain, Justin, and joining me on our landing party are my science officer, Anna, and xenoanthropologist, Jude. What is the silliest method of virus transmission that you could think of from a sci-fi series? Um, I'm going to go with the naked time and the naked now <laughs> with their fancy water. <laughs> Does the game from TNG count? Yeah, sure, why not? Oh my god, It's a genetic yes. virus. I haven't thought about that episode in probably, like, years. I think we all need to think about that episode more, because, like, that's just, that's just like, what we do on our smartphones, right? Right. But like, like, they're just refreshing Twitter. But yeah, if I, if I play 2048, it doesn't give me an orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You Some of those people playing Wordle got pretty close. I mean, I never... I, <laughs> I never got that. I never had, like, a relief playing Wordle. It was, oh, come on. It was that? Fuck. Yeah. Also, excuse me, orgasm is a six-letter word. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, God. <laughs> All right. So, to, so for this episode, we are covering episode three of Strange New World, Ghosts of Illyria, written by Akila Cooper and Bill Wolkoff, directed by Leslie Hope. Anna, you've got this one. Take us away. So this week, the Enterprise is investigating an abandoned colony formerly populated by Illyrians, a non-Federation species known for genetic manipulation. An ion storm moves in and the landing party narrowly makes it back to the Enterprise, with the exception of Pike and Spock, who are left behind and must weather the storm. On the ship, an odd sickness starts to spread among the crew, first with the landing party and then others, inducing an attraction to light and disregard for self-harm uh, among the afflicted. Una seems to be immune, but it's clear that there's something odd about her. She exhibits the attraction to light, but recovers quickly after a brief session of skin glowing that goes way beyond a good moisturization routine. <laughs> She also manages to pick Hemmer up and carry him to sickbay like a sack of tissue paper. It turns out that she herself is Illyrian, uh, but it takes an encounter between Una, La'an, and the Warp Corps to be able to formulate a cure. On the planet, Pike and Spock learn some more about the colony. Uh, the colonists vanished not because of the weird entities made of light that the two see flying around in the storm, but because of a mysterious disease. It also turns out that they've been genetically unmodifying themselves in hopes of joining the Federation. When the storm worsens and the window breaks in their shelter, the light beings shelter Pike and Spock and save their lives, prompting Spock to speculate that perhaps the beings are the missing colonists. Back on the ship, Una comes clean to Pike about her heritage, and he pledges to support her if the Federation finds out, uh, saying that she is exemplary and defies stereotypes. We also learn the source of the infection. Uh, Dr. Menga has been storing the pattern of his sick daughter in the medical transporter buffer, and that interfered with the biofilters. We end the episode with Una's personal log where she expresses discomfort at having to be exemplary and wishes for the day when she can simply be herself. And that's an episode. The first thing I want to talk about is that the idea of Una being an Illyrian 
is not in fact new. No. This is actually in fact drawn from a novel, which I, I want to get the the name of the novel right. Uh, an important note while you're looking up the title of the novel is that the novel predates the Wrath of Khan and all of the, interesting and all of the uh, world building around genetic modification uh, being banned in the Federation. So Una's backstory as being an Illyrian and being genetically modified predates that being illegal in the Federation. Does it, though? Because it would not have predated Space Seed, the episode in which Khan and the the augments right. on the uh, Botany Bay were introduced. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it would have been post-Wrath of Khan because the, um, the novel is Vulcan's Glory, written by Queen D.C. Fontana. Um, we stand. Who established that she was an Illyrian. Interesting, because the... I, I was reading another write-up about this episode, and it was specifically called out that the the novel came out before the backstory, all of the backstory about genetically modified individuals being forbidden in the Federation became canon. So, yeah, but that was that was really established in DS Nine, Doctor Bashir, I presume. Yeah. Okay. So that that oh, is established in DS Nine. So it was post con, but pre DS Nine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Got it. I want to talk, like, because I find it very interesting that for a number of civilizations, the fact that, like, you know, there are four, like, they're they're not just humans. There are three other founding members of the Federation. And humanity has such a huge, like, cultural trauma of genetic engineering that they carry this ban for, like, 300 years and impose it basically on an entire quarter of the galaxy. Yeah. That's pretty intense. Yeah. I mean, from from what we have gathered now, uh, like, you know, it was Augments and Khan that led to World War Three. So, you know, and, and, you know, like 30% of the planet's population died there. So, I mean, I get it. But uh, I, I just find it really interesting how it's like that, like, no other species seems to have this hang up, but yeah, you know, humanity's <laughs> big fuck up in the past has sort of imposed this on other civilizations. Uh, point of interest in the Federation: is it all Federation members, or is it just humans within the Federation that are banned from genetic? Mutilation? It is Federation members because um, Illyrians are non-human. Really? Yes. So they were not; they're not like humans that genetically modified themselves. They just look identical to humans um so yes and no um <laughs> we have seen illyrians before in star trek who have looked vastly different they have rubber they like they're the we've seen them in enterprise with like rubber foreheads oh right. so i guess she's just and like apparently they are like as as number one describes in this episode they adapt their bodies for their environment so illyrians actually have a large variety of phenotypes got it there's like a thing where she's calling up like database entries and stuff. And like one of them has like webbed hands. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, yeah. Like, and, and like basically they, they adapt themselves to whatever planet they're living on. The, the ban on genetic modification is definitely something that is somewhat inconsistent throughout various treks though. Like it was really established with Bashir. Yeah. Okay. But it's also something that like Star Trek in general hasn't wanted to touch a lot of. Yeah. Because this is this is one of those things that, like, Anna and I were talking about this before the recording, that there are just, there seem to be these certain things that, like, 
for whatever reason, Star Trek just doesn't like touching un- or, or like or put off touching for a while. Like, for example, malicious AI is not something that you see often in Star Trek for whatever reason. And I, when we see genetic engineering within Star Trek, it is almost entirely based on or related to the augments of Khan and that era. Interesting. Yeah. Genetic modification in general is, if I'm recalling correctly, is not, it's not a blanket ban that like it can be done to cure diseases, but you can't do it to like make yourself better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You can't make superhumans or gotcha. super Vulcans or yeah. whatever. We disagreed about this episode in after it originally aired. We had some sort of different thoughts about the end of this episode. Um, yeah, about, yeah, yeah. Uh, Una's comments uh, or thoughts at the end um, after she talks to Pike. I thought she was not giving Pike due credit for his reaction to her revelation. And you... You were a little more sympathetic. Yeah. So, you know, I will I will say this, that like, I don't know what degree of experience either of you has had at having to be exemplary in your lives. I'm a white, nominally straight male uh, outside of, you know, <laughs> the afor- all of the aforementioned individuals, the growing list of aforementioned individuals that this show makes me talk about. Because <laughs> let me tell you, it fucking sucks. Yeah. And I think that's... <laughs> made me reconsider my position somewhat. I think I still think Pike would go to bat to her regardless, but I do re- I, I absolutely recognize the yeah. point you're making now that you I read your notes about it. The exemplary thing is I definitely get the point you're making with the idea about her having to be exemplary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for for context for listeners that I I started my degree in pure math and I am a woman and there's not a lot of women in pure math. As I've as I've gone further in my career, I've gone you know towards statistics and biostatistics, which are areas that you know have a more diverse gender spread. But certainly, in the earlier portions of my academic history, um, I was like you know out of thirty people in the classroom, I was one of like five women, and there is a lot of pressure to be exemplary yeah. because if you if you aren't then you are proving that you don't belong there yeah and it really sucks and the and one of the things that like really spoke to me with uno's thing is that you're never sure who's actually your ally because you know there are lots of people who are like yeah i support you all the way and then they say shit <laughs> like we should hire more women because women are great at serving on committees or like stuff about maternity leave or whatever. Yeah. And you, so it's, you, you learn to like view every ally at, with, with a degree of skepticism. Um, and I can definitely see that. What are the conditions on that, on that ally? Right. Exactly. That, that the conditions on that ally, allyship are potentially continuing to be exemplary and it's exhausting yeah yeah no i i i I, and i definitely get your expansion on that point here very much Mm. changed my opinion changed my my point of view on that and i get that i do think pike i still maintain that pike would suplex the fucking federation for una uh yeah but i do i but that doesn't negate that una 
lives that has this lived experience of having to be exemplary, feeling like like the 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 way that she survives is being exemplary. Yeah. And Pike says stuff that I think he wants to me I like I think what he is trying to do in that final scene is be like supportive and say like hey you are a great officer and you're my friend and stuff but that but like some of the I, I would say the way he phrases it I would imagine like you know as somebody who maybe doesn't have this exact experience but has a lot of imposter syndrome and anxieties about that um could very easily see like oh no you're only doing this because I'm the good one because I'm yeah. your friend mm-hmm. yeah. would you do would you do this if you didn't know me exactly yeah. and she gets to have a good monologue at the end about that and the fact that her hiding that has hurt a relationship of hers with Lon. Mm-hmm. Who, I mean, could see, like, you know, I could very easily see them trying to patch things up. I have a feeling that they're, that we're going to get even more of that, or like, of that, of that pairing in the future of just, like, seeing them interact and going further into that backstory. But I think that there's going to be, uh, like... Her being secretive about it hurt somebody, and she didn't intend mm-hmm. that. And it wasn't because she was trying to keep the secret; it was because she could have helped some. She could have helped that person with a shared experience and didn't, and that yeah. Yeah. caused pain. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's a very like I I like this plot line just because of how messy it is. Same, yeah. yeah. It's not a thing of like one person is the good person here and one person isn't. It's a thing of like, oh no, this sucks. Yeah, there's a um, lot of nuance to it, and I like it. I I absolutely don't doubt that Pike is entirely genuine that he would go to bat to the ends of the earth for Una. I also completely understand her being extremely skeptical about that. Yeah. Uh from a purely narrative standpoint, I I love the line they give Pike when he's supporting her. Uh, he said, she says like, you're, you know, you're going to have to report this at some point. What happens if the, the Federation wants, you know, has a problem with me. And he very calmly, without any hesitation, he just says, I look forward to that conversation. I welcome that discussion. I welcome that discussion. Yeah. And I'm just like, <laughs> that line is fucking choice. I love that line because it's, it's very calm. He's not, you know, he's just like, when that happens, we'll do that. And I have it's it's so confident, mm-hmm. but in in not like in an arrogant or angry way. It's just very I'm going to handle this. Yeah, yeah. It's I'm, very. I'm pike. back. In, I'm with you to the other line. And and it's that's one of the comments that does make me think that Pike is genuinely. Yeah. You know, would genuinely go genuinely go to bat for Una. Yeah. He means every word that he says. Yeah. So I want to talk about a costuming thing here. At the start of the episode. Is this the bomber jackets? The bomber jackets are so fucking cool. (laughs) They're so good. I want a Starfleet bomber jacket. Give it to me, you cowards. Like, I don't don't live in an area where I often have to wear jackets. And also, I sweat like a pig. (laughs) So I can't wear them often. But, like, I want one. Also, um, we have the the long-standing tradition of trying to beam someone up through an ion storm. Oh, yeah. Trying Which, to beam someone up through X. Yeah. And specifically the Ion Storm with like, if we tried to transport them through the Ion Storm, who knows what we'll get back. And it's like, ah, yes, because of all those times that we've seen them beam up somebody through an Ion Storm and something awful happened. 
Yeah. You know, do you want a goatee? Because this is how you get a goatee. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then, and then, like, when Hammer's, like, redirecting the power, and it's like, and Hammer's like, I am a genius. It's like, yeah, you are, you, you funky little guy. Followed by when he tries to beam up a chunk of the planet's mantle. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm just like, a king. You are a king. Uh, he's just like, I want to feel, I want the glow, baby. Give me, give me that heat. <laughs> right. So I have, I have one really genuine question about this episode. Why does La'an's family, why do they not just change their surname? I have, okay. <laughs> I, I know multiple people with ridiculous last names. I knew a guy growing up whose last name was Banks, which you would think would be not be ridiculous, uh, who named his daughter Willow. Willow Banks. Like, people people keep na- keep ridiculous names for ridiculous reasons. But this isn't a ridiculous name. This is like keeping the last name of Space Hitler. I mean, we had a president with the middle name of Hussein. It's, you know, for some people, it's like, you know, for some people, it is, this is my name. I'm sticking with it. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that there's also like a, if you have to, if you change the name and then later in the series, you pull the name switch fake out. Yeah. Narratively, it, that's, it, it, it that's, becomes, a good, it becomes, that's a good answer. It's cheaper. It's cheaper. Right. I think. Right. Um, I'm not asking a narrative question. I'm asking a real world question. Right. No. <laughs> I mean, people keep the last name of Hitler. <laughs> Unfortunately, like you know, it's just like th- these names are always going to be around there. And well, cu- counterpoint: all of Hitler's direct descendants changed their last names. Okay, that's yeah. fair. And like we have people with the name of Castro, and like Singh is a relatively common name. Well, it's Noonien Singh. Yeah, she. Ke- they, yeah, they have both. They kept the hyphen. And you know, well, maybe, maybe there's like just... maybe there's a whole maybe there's we don't know we don't know what maybe what, you can't change how, your name when you're a minor or maybe well hold on maybe there's like three hundred generations of extremely talented, socially conscious, good Noonien sings, and there's this one asshole that starts World War Three, and they're like, what about all these other good people? These many generations of socially responsible people that we want, we don't want to throw away their legacy just because Ricardo Montalbant went and tried to get his uh, Genghis Khan on, you know? On a, on, a, on a con note, on a Ricardo Montalbant note, I have a very funny story about seeing Star Trek uh, to the Wrath of Khan in theaters. I have a very story about Genghis Khan. Oh, well, let's, let's trade him. Um, so... When I was in college, there is a the- there was a theater in downtown San Jose that basically like it wasn't it wasn't any of the major major theater chains and just seemed to have like the most buck fucking wild the rules about what it would show. And so they would show like a lot of like old movies or like random stuff. And one like in in college, one of uh like one weekend they were just showing an original reel of Wrath of Khan. And Beautiful. So I was like 21 or 22. I was sauced when we saw that because we were, it was like we had, we had been hanging out for a couple hours before that. 
So it's like half a row of us in a relatively packed theater. And I want to apologize to anybody who was in that theater because I was a obnoxious 22-year-old. <laughs> but, you know, Wrath of Khan, you know, also, this was like, this, we had to, they had to stop the movie for like 10 minutes because the, like, something was wrong with the real, like, five minutes into the movie. Um, oh, no. And so, but then they got it back on and everything. But then, so when Ricardo Monteblanc first steps onto the screen and reveals himself to Chekhov, this entire half row of us all yells, Welcome to Fantasy Island! (laughs) 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 And then, of course, we all do the car! Yeah, I mean, I'm you surprised you didn't get kicked con. out of that theater. Yeah, we, I mean, like we we were we got people shot. Those were the only two. We didn't MST3K the shit. We just did those two things, um, which I you, guess did, you we, didn't Rocky Horror it up. We didn't Rocky Horror it up. There, I, if you can, listeners, if you can direct me to like a good like call and receipt, like a good like call and repeat for like Rafa Khan, please send it my way so I can live my life to the fullest. That that would be that would be amazing, I, honestly. But yeah, that was um, that, those, that was my experience seeing Wrath of Khan in theaters. So whenever I think of Khan or Ricardo Montalban, that's the immediate thing that comes to my head. My story is not that good. It was just that my dad had an obsession with both Stonewall Jackson and Genghis Khan, uh, which should tell you everything you need to know about what a fucking weirdo my dad that's is. That's a strange combination. Uh, and uh, after being denied the opportunity to name me uh, Stonewall Jackson. Uh, <laughs> yes, really. Uh, were it not for my mother's incredible, uh, post, uh, post childbirth fortitude, uh, both me and my brother, my dad tried to take the birth certificate and put Stonewall Jackson as the name. Uh, but my mother was incredibly strong after me and canny after my brother. She told the nurses not to give it to him, uh, after my brother, before my brother was born. Um, he uh, attempted, he was married to a Mongolian woman for a number, for a number of years after uh, my parents got divorced. Uh, he was on the record for wanting to have a child with her and name him Stonewall Jackson Genghis Khan, Genghis Khan Wood. That was the name he was going to give this poor fucking child. Uh, thankfully for that unborn child, it never existed. So it will not be, it was, was never cursed with that extremely cursed name with a cursed pronunciation because like every pretentious boomer white man uh he had some goofanani uh belief that that was the proper air quotes way to pronounce that name Genghis, not Genghis. uh so stonewall jackson Genghis khan wood so something that i am like curious about on on is that is she okay? She is she augmented at all? Because no. it seems like from dialogue that she isn't. But like, I thought that there was some stuff in like the pilot or something. Or is it that Wait, that we were just guessing? I think or we is were it guessing, the thing but... of like like because like there's a whole thing in the in the first episode about like Venga like having to do a checkout on her, or is it just to confirm that she's a baseline human when she's getting assigned to the flagship? I think that's the that's what it ends up being. That and she won't be sedated. I think she she refuses to be sedated because of her trauma. Yeah, okay, that that makes sense. I mean, fair, but <laughs> I think I think the the pilot might have been also um, just that 
you know, new crew com- new crew member comes on board, they need a checkup, which is an ongoing Trek thing. Yeah. Yeah. But it was it was a good fake out though. Yeah, actually. they definitely di- I mean I mean they definitely did it as a fake out for sure. Mm-hmm. See, it's funny, it's like until like Chapel points it out that like wow how, like to to Uda, like wow how'd you carry him I was like thinking of like no it's just normal for people to carry people over their shoulders bad asshole <laughs> <laughs> this is what like this is what like fiction has done to my head reading like superhero comics has done I'm like that's oh, a normal thing to do yeah it's, it was a very She Hulk moment yeah yeah which does make me wonder of like. Do number one's like genetic modifications not show up on like a scan or something? I it's from my my impression of it is that they they don't show up unless she's like actively using them. Mm-hmm. That was the impression yeah. I got. Hmm. Uh, but really, all the medical stuff <laughs> in this episode's a little <laughs> I, bit I, is <laughs> is very classic, good like Trek bibbledy babbledy. Yeah, I mean, except for the, the, the end of this episode, familiar like plague terms contact tracing and yeah all that good stuff nothing like can we talk about the bullshit like the the amazing bullshit for how they explain how the the the, they get the miracle cure chimeric (laughs) antibodies so on gets dosed with radiation for the warp core and because she is touching number one like yeah they they like mind meld immune systems or something i this is nonsensical and i wouldn't have any other way you could tell me that it's like no this is the power of friendship yeah and i'm I'm like sure that's fine that's that's great i that's all i need for for understanding that same thing with the with the plasma beings too where it's like i don't know maybe the maybe they're the colonists maybe they were always here yeah. Whatever they're kind of cool. They saved our lives. Let's look. Let's get the fuck off this. Yeah, planet. we got some. We got some like. Yeah. It's a. It's a very like. It's very like all not like horror, but it's like almost a very like gothic vibe to this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I like at least the on the CGI planet. on them is very like second season TNG too. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like it's very not bad, but very. You know what I mean, right? Like it's very like. Charming, traced, yeah. It's just kind of goofanny. I don't know how else to put it, but like, it very much is is like something that a TNG episode would do. Having like weird squiggly energy beings. I don't know that kind it's, of look like people. Yeah, but not really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is the second episode in a row that we've had that left a lot of stuff as just a mystery, and I am. 100% down with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm into More it. vibes, less explanations. Yeah. Yeah, I'm here for the crew and, like, the vibes. And I don't need to understand everything. Yeah, this is... I Overall, very fun episode. I am... Uh, uh, I do want to talk about Mbenga's uh, daughter. That's oh, yeah. Well, yeah, let's... Yeah. yeah. My dude put his daughter on the blockchain. Get it's out. a non-fungible daughter. <laughs> get out it's a it's no. one of i would those describe things. it as he scottied his doc- daughter but uh it, it's one of those things where like people have been yeah like nerds have been talking about using transporters for this purpose in like fan fiction and on forums and like why don't they just do this like why don't they do that and it's like 
well, now they've now someone's done it. And I know they've done it in episodes before, but like yeah. seeing the, a Starfleet doctor just being like, just going to keep her in the transporter. Problem solved. Yeah, the Scotty did it for like a much longer period of time. Of it, I mean, my recollection may be faulty because it was it's been a hot minute. But wasn't that like an accident? He did it to save himself during like a crisis. Like, yeah, um, that's right. And he he and there was another dude in there with him. And that dude. Bye bye. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. only named characters. Get to. Yeah, I don't know. I thought it was a moment where when Una confronts him about it, the acting mm-hmm. I thought was extremely good because you, well, let me rephrase that. As a parent, I thought his acting was extremely affected, effective because I got more than a little uh, tangled up inside as he was talking about like, wouldn't you do anything to save your kid yeah. if they were sick and had a little, only a little bit of time left? I was like, yes, stick him in the transporter. Absolutely, I would do that. Um, so I totally get, got, you know, I thought that, that acting, that was a a really nicely acted scene. I thought he, he was conveying the anguish of that situation really, really well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, it's like, and, and, and he's like, yeah, I know if you want to turn me into Starfleet, you know, just, and I can have a little bit of time and she says, and and like her initial response is no. And I was just like, Oh, what the fuck? She's like, no, we're going to give you a, a stable power supply to your daughter. And I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> I'm like, I don't have to, I don't have to be against number one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't think she was going to like space his daughter or anything. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> I was just like, what the fuck? But I, I'll be curious to see if they like come back to this plot or like how they, how the, yeah. if, if this is a, something that we come back to or if this is just going to be a thing in the background with him, like periodically checking in with his daughter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I well, I, I assume I assume like once it's one of those things that it's like we're going to put this on the table until somebody has a good story for it. Yeah. yeah. Chekhov's uh, non-fung- non-fungible daughter. God damn it. <laughs> Loving that we get to we get to do this. All right. Uh, anybody got anything else I want to talk about with this episode? No, I think I think that's about it for me. Yep. Same here. All right. Um, So next time we are going to be covering uh, episode four, Memento Mori. Where we get uh, Chekhov's atmospheric processor. Chekhov's atmospheric (laughs) processor and our mandatory submarine episode. Until next time. Hit Strange New Pods is a limited-run series by The Babylon Project, a member of the OKSO Network. All views expressed are our own. Music credits can be found in the show notes. Wear life gloriously.